This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. And I'm your host, Gian Hearn. Today, we're going to be continuing the study of the Gospel of Mark, focusing on chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. We're really diving into Mark at this point. And last episode, we had a great conversation, really applicable to what was going on in life. Michael, I felt like that one turned out well. You've heard some good feedback. You know, we we have. Um, it's funny because we do these episodes and we do our best on them and try to apply scriptures to life. And um, and then you're done and you're like, okay, that was fun or fine or whatever. And and we always get, you know, pretty good feedback from our episodes, but really um, unusually high uh, and complimentary amounts of feedback um, from our, our last episode on the yeast of the Pharisees and Roe versus Wade and, and the discussion there. And of course, it's at the center of a lot of people's minds. And so... Um, we're going to try to continue to do that, focus on the scriptures and the context and content, but also imagine how that applies to today. So um, we're grateful for all the feedback, and we're going to continue to to carry on the conversation and, and apply the Bible to real life as best we can. Yeah, it's really awesome, the feedback that we're getting. We can really help mold the show for what people are interested in and continuing our conversation. So continue to throw out those comments and your your thoughts or dislikes or whatever it is about our podcast. We love to hear it, and we love to really serve you guys in that way in addressing what you guys want to hear as we are focusing on what we think is important to share as well. So today we are in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, Jason is with us, and he is going to lead us. Okay. Uh, Mark 8.22. And he cometh to Bethsaida. <laughs> and they bring... Oh, come on. I hate you, Jason. Why? Why? This is this not one, why people this come. This is nice. Just for once. Come on. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay, Listen. Fine, fine. And he cometh to Bethsaida. And they bring him a blind man, they bring a blind man unto him, and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and he asked him if he saw aught. Boy, that's nice. (laughs) And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. The word of the Lord. So if you were sitting there listening to Jason reading and saying, I wonder what word would rhyme with besought. Jason answered it as he read, it's ought. Ought. (laughs) Yeah, I actually wasn't ready for that. Uh, that, That's that's not the best way of putting it. That's a rhyming scheme. He saw ought. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, interesting. And that is the King James. Yeah, if if he asked him if he saw would have been sufficient. So that's, that's King James, correct? King James with Strong's. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> nice. I'm so glad you read that today. It was. You're welcome. It was different. I haven't heard that in a long time. So. This is why I'm always nervous, Gianna, when we decide that Jason's going to read the passage because you know he's going to do something like that. Too. I know, but I didn't expect that. But <laughs> it is the word of the Lord. And so we are in our first section reading glasses on. Yes. So I'll, I'll throw the question back to you guys. What do you see? What are some of the patterns? What is Mark doing in this passage or questions that pop up as we read this short little section here? Well, I thought it was interesting coming off of what we just read. The final verse in the last section was, do you still not understand? Now we go into this portion of scripture and we're, we're talking about a blind man. So someone not perceiving. Again, this whole, what we've been talking about, seeing, perceiving. So someone that's blind can't perceive. And then 
he asks the man, do you see anything? And then he, you know, tells him what he sees, which I was really confused. And I know you guys are probably going to tell me, but this people looking like trees walking around. I want to know the significance. I feel like there's something big there, but I have no clue what. And then Jesus asks him again, you know, or when he does puts his hands on the man's eyes again, he said his sight was restored. So I'm just so like confused as to why it wasn't restored the first time. Did it have to do with the man, the man's heart? Um, I'm, you know, those are, those are my questions. But then at the very end, he sent him home and he said, don't even go into this village. And, um, again, I always wonder, and we've kind of gone over this before why Jesus says these type of things, but he led him outside the village to do this healing and then says, don't even go back into there. So there's something with the village leading him out of it and not wanting him to return. So those are the things in that short passage that stuck out to me immediately. You're getting so good at this, Gianna, because everything you just mentioned was in my notes of the things that I noticed in that section. Um, so we're, we're vibing. We're, we're vibing. Yes. <laughs> Jason, what do you got? Homie. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a number of things that uh, if, if I had never read the Bible and I was you know, someone's like, you should read the Gospel of Mark and read about Jesus's great authority and ability to heal. I, I would. So you're referring to our conversation last week. Was I? Yeah, when I had asked you, you oh, so you never read the Book of Mark? And <laughs> yeah, you read- yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yep. Now I, I've read it. Now, so I, now I am good. Confused. Yeah. Okay. Um, the. So there's a number of things. Just as like a casual reader, I would imagine you'd stumble. Um, okay, so um, well, I noticed number one that they brought this man. He's not. He, they're bringing him to. So again, like in chapter two, uh, where they bring the man to Jesus to be healed, and they they cut a hole in the ceiling, uh, whatever. Um, but okay, just things that jump out. Why does he take him out of the city? Why does he spit in his face? Why does it not take? <laughs> why, right. why, why doesn't it? Why doesn't it stick? And of all the healing miracles uh, where Jesus, you know, Jesus heals somebody, he never asks for an evaluation. You know, when you go to the doctor and they, or you go to the chiropractor, which I think I've only been once decades ago, but I imagine the chiropractor doing an adjustment and then saying, "How does that feel?" Um, and it's something like that where Jesus is like. Did that work? <laughs> Can you see? It's an odd thing for Jesus to ask, and it didn't work. So he has to do it again. So this is like the first time where Jesus looks like he failed on the first crack. Um, laying on of, of hands. Uh, and then the last line, don't don't say anything. Don't go back into the city. Go, go a different way. Take a different way back home and don't say anything. So all of that is just... That has to be puzzling for a new reader to mark, or the uh, uh, unaware reader, the one that's not really paying close attention. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's really good, and and I think this section that's all intentional by Mark. I think it's supposed to be a little bit puzzling and confusing, and raise raise some questions, and and again, we're we're dealing with two masters here really because we have you know the master of all masters jesus the smartest man who ever lived um and then we have mark the master storyteller here who is crafting together uh, snippets of the life of the master and creating his own masterpiece and and picture here and so as soon as Mark drops into this story, oh, they're bringing him a blind man. He's been so carefully using verbs of perception, seeing and, you know, hearing as well. But a, a lot of do you see, do you understand um, that the the idea of seeing perception, blindness, our radar should be on here. The minute a, a blind man steps to the forefront. And as we will see as we go on, 
this is really a, a larger connected section. Mm-hmm. The fancy term is inclusio going all the way to the end of chapter 10, where we'll have another story about a blind man that kind of brings this all together. So Mark is marking this section off as there's, there's stories within a story here, but there's a big theme that I'm trying to make clear. Um, and so our radar should definitely be on for that. Then, then you're both right. There's the oddity of a failed miracle. In, in fact, this is the only time anything like this happens in Jesus' life at all. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I don't think it's a power outage or a, you know, he was low in faith that day. There's something intentional going on here by Jesus and then by Mark uh, in including this story. Um, also notice when he does heal them uh, in verse 25, it says Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. It's like, okay, Mark, we get the point. <laughs> Three different phrases meaning the same thing, kind of an overkill here. He saw, he saw, he saw. Um, What is Mark trying to stress there in opposition to the blindness and to the lack of being able to see fully the first time uh, they look like trees walking around? Uh, and, And then again, I noticed, as you both mentioned, this whole you know, Jesus has been secretive in Mark. Don't tell people. Mark is talking about, you know, emphasizing Jesus' talk of the secret, uh, the secret of the kingdom. And so once again, Jesus takes him outside of the village, away from people, does this miracle, and then tells him, don't go back in. Keep keep this a secret. So there's there's definitely a continuation of themes here. And I would say, Jason and G., This is that final, we talked, I think it was last week about, you know, in a movie when the music starts ramping up and you know something's about to happen. This is the final high note before the shoe really drops, before the big Or or a key key change of some sort, right? Like it's- Well, there you go. You know music better than I do. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but the, 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 um, the, yeah, this is- and I think we we could um, spend a whole episode just discussing the kind of structure of of the gospel according to Mark. It, it, there's a th- this this we're wading into a, a part of Mark's account that um, makes it pretty clear that there is edit there's editing happening. It's not like um, you know. There's an intentionality. There, there's a. It's not like just you know casual. I just want to get down as much as I can remember about Jesus. But he's he's really arranged uh, uh, different bits of Jesus's life and and finessed them in such a way to really make uh, a larger point about Jesus's life and and death. And and that point is to be understood in a way that forms the the desires and calling of the readers. Yeah. And I, I love I love this we're wading into so it's like act 1 of Mark has come to a close with 8 verse 21. And now we're we're wading in. Yeah, it's like uh we're going into this new section and the first thing the first step uh in uh, we have to go past this odd story about, you know, failed healing and then a healing. And, um, and in, in this section, I mean, I know we'll probably look at, I'm guessing we'll look at all of this section. We'll take each part. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yep. So, um, but the, the, um, yeah, the, all of the predictions of Jesus's death in Jerusalem, right. The, the, the the trajectory of the narrative changes. Now there's going to be this movement in the gospel from the north moving south. And as you're moving south toward Jerusalem, you're also moving up to Jerusalem as it's set in the hills. And 
and you're going to Jerusalem and on the way and on the way is a is a big theme in these chapters on the way what's happening on the way um and and on the way Jesus will describe his death and and right after describing his death he'll turn to the disciples and say now that's you too <laughs> like you what it means to follow me can only be understood by my own death and so the 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 idea of grasping and seeing it's like the stakes are raised um, at this at this point, so I I I almost wish we we took a, a second to uh, or I'm sorry t- took an episode to just talk about the the structural unity of Mark's account, <clears throat> but I know uh, that would bore most people, so I I thought I'd just say that. But um, this is exciting. Like I love the idea of the the, the music, uh, the metaphor you're using, Michael. Like you imagine sitting at at, at a at a whatever a, an opera or s- something where. Yeah, you you do imagine things becoming intense at this point because you're moving south. And each of the accounts, well, I should say each of the synoptic accounts of the gospel have this moment. In Luke, it's chapter, what is it, chapter 19? No, 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 that can't be right. Yeah, chapter 19, where, where you know, the same thing happens, where uh, Jesus starts to make his way to Jerusalem. Things start to get more and more intense. Um, yes. So this is really exciting. Yeah, and you know, if we if we move into the next section, time machine, and we start thinking about what's actually going on here, um, you're right in the sense that Mark has been building up the tension. Are the disciples going to see? Right. Are they going to get this? And Jesus is like, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Are, are they going to listen? And it almost makes me think of a movie where like, okay, here's the big moment. The good guy's going to get it. He's going to win. Right. And then, oh, no. There's a whole nother level of antagonist yeah. or problem that we didn't see coming. It came out of nowhere. And so here... It's like, are they going to see? Are they going to understand? Here comes a blind man. And and Mark wants us to see, here's the disciples. They're blind. And he's brought to Jesus, and he makes him see. Yeah, right. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he goes, yeah. I can see, but people look like trees walking around. Um, yeah, and so Gian- odd. Yeah, yeah we forgot to mention that. That's the bizarre thing. To say. Well, and and you know, Gianna, you asked about that. If there's something specific there, I have come to the conclusion, Jason. I don't know if you disagree with this. I've come to the conclusion that it's no more significant than that's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I don't. That's yeah. not exciting. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's got to be something about tree. Yeah. And, and it and it also suggests that this man wasn't like the, the man in John chapter nine. He wasn't born blind. He had some sense right. of what trees yeah. looked like. He, he knew may, what may, trees look like. Yeah, right. Which may, maybe he was old, an older man. Uh, old, old blind men feature uh, uh, prominently in the gospel as uh, the ex- the example of <laughs> not seeing or, well. Or, see, we didn't consider this. Maybe he did see correctly, and he had been blind his whole life, and he just had in his mind what people and trees looked like, Yeah, and he was completely wrong. Yeah. I thought you were going <laughs> to say that, like, he opened his eyes and he saw the disciples, and they looked like trees. Like, they weren't, they weren't really seeing clearly or acting i don't know and so he saw them in a different light or something that i was like well that's interesting yeah yeah that i mean there may be some symbolism there that mark hopes we catch that because who was there the disciples that's that's probably who he would have seen and he says you know they they don't quite look like they're supposed to look but ultimately i think that's probably just yeah you end up pushing it too far yeah yeah and we would go way into speculation and and too far but i think i think the point is he's somehow not seeing correctly Mm -hmm. he's seeing partially but not correctly so there's that oh no moment i I thought this was going to (laughs) be symbolic of the disciples are about to get it and they don't. And Mark is really setting up because in the very next section, Jesus will ask them, 
who do you think I am? We'll talk about this in our right, next episode. Right. And Peter cues up the right answer. And then and Mark But it's spins, the second time, right? It's the second answer. Oh, no. He has two oh, questions. You're right. He asked who do you yeah, he he, say, who do people who say? Who do people say I am? Now, who do you say? Yeah, you're Who right. do you okay. say I am? And Peter, Peter spikes it. He gets yeah. the right answer. And then Mark will spend the next three chapters showing how they see people like trees walking around. They got the right answer as to who Jesus is, but they're not seeing Jesus clearly. They're not understanding. Um, And and the point is they've failed to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They still desire status and power. They're still self-focused. They're still seeing the world through the lens of, the powers and authorities through empire. They're not seeing the new creation. And, and there will actually be a pattern that Mark does three times. And we'll, we'll talk about this as we go oh, yeah. through Mark. Right. But chapter 8, verse 31, yep. Yep. Jesus will predict his suffering and death. And then right after that, the next two verses, the disciples have a huge misunderstanding of what that means, and they display self-focus. And then right after that, chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus will launch into an explanation about cross-defined discipleship and try to explain it again. Then chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus predicts his suffering and death, the way of the cross. This is what it looks like, a cross-oriented life, cross-shaped. Verses 32 to 34, the disciples misunderstand and display a self-focus. And they seek after status and power and position and all that. And then verses 35 to 37, Jesus explains more about cross-defined discipleship. Then in chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, Jesus once again predicts his suffering and death. And in verses 35 to 41, the disciples misunderstand and display self-focus and have an argument about who's greater And then Jesus explains again, starting in verse 42, about cross-defined discipleship. So they are thoroughly at every step misunderstanding what is going on here to to the point, and then I'll let you say something here, Jason, to the point that in this section, Jesus even talks about, you've got to be like little children, and, and that's what the kingdom is, people with no status and and welcoming the children. And then they turn around a few verses later and people try to bring children to Jesus. And the disciples say, stop bringing the children to Jesus. Let the, don't bother the teachers. So they're completely missing everything about what he's doing here. Right. Yeah. And the, the brothers, the brothers very um, yeah, distasteful request to be enthroned around Jesus in his moment of glory and their mom gets involved and they're just out to lunch even three chapters from now, (laughs) which is, which is it, it, but, but the, 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 um, what's interesting is you describe these prediction, um, prediction, clarification, teaching, prediction, clarification, teaching that happens three times in a row. And then of course, right after that, another story about a blind person. Only this time he's not being brought, he's crying out himself. Um, and so so the, the, all of the things you just described really show that this, this is, in, it's intentional. Like this, this is how the gospel writers, and we can take a lesson here in, in, in reading the Bible. And, you know, we, I just had a conversation recently on some other for some other uh, podcast uh, thing we were talking about uh, humanness and in the Bible and and this is one of those instances where you see that yeah the the Bible is is God's words um, but it's it's God using the creative uh, ability of human beings with open hearts I guess that got the, these this this man this community whoever's involved in 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 the gospel according to mark has worked hard to make points to teach um and you can sense the human like fingerprints involved in all of this 
And we have to grow comfortable with that's how the word of the Lord uh, meets us in a very human, um, from a very human perspective and um, uh, vantage point, I guess. Uh, and that sh- that shouldn't make us uncomfortable. It should, in fact, dial us into that, oh, what, what the Bible is doing is bigger than just offering information or 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 telling history or a, a, a manual for theological discourse or something like that. But it's crafted so that we'd actually be hit um, in the right places. So I, yes. I don't know if any of that made sense, but I, I, I love seeing this intentionality. Um, yes. No, that's, that's great. And, and, and let me t- change direction here just a little bit. Jason, did you know, I have some announcements about Gianna here that Gianna is now, now she's paying attention. No, she's, I've been paying attention. Trust me. <laughs> I am a great multitasker. No, I know. Um, Gianna is a reporter, a sideline reporter for the NBA. And she is got a documentary that's going to be on ESPN um, coming up soon. Uh, she's the star. I think it's about her life. Um, this this documentary really? on ESPN. Um, it's a thirty for thirty. Of what fact. I do. <laughs> it's about her life. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's, it's I mean, a, he kind of took it up a few notches and made it really self focused. But I guess. I so guess you don't mind us telling that Gian, and then everybody can go tell other people and so on or or is there an instinct to go no uh shut up none of that's definitely, true definitely an instinct i was like whoa 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 don't get people that rattled up it's not that big but um right he got Which, a few things minorly off but it's a yeah. big deal since the documentary is based about or focused about the uh, nba g league and it will be right. streamed live with the nba g league and the nba will reshare it, but it will not yeah. be on ESPN. And it's not about me. <laughs> it's okay. about teams and markets. So, so here's my point, though. Here's my point, okay? Which that that is incredible stuff, by the way. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. We're excited yeah. about that. We'll, we'll continue to share that on uh, our Icon podcast social media so people can find that if they want. But my point being, if I'm sharing information that's not accurate – your instinct is to go, whoa, 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 stop. Don't go telling people that, right? Yeah. yeah. So you have the question of why is Jesus being secretive? That's exactly why, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You don't understand what's even going on here. So it's not quite time for this to all go public yet. Let's let's try to keep this. I'm trying to show you who I am. Let me explain to you first What's going on? Don't don't go share this with people because you're going to get it wrong. And particularly um, for them, Messiah means warrior. Messiah means political empire maker, leader, overthrow the Romans sort of thing. Uh, we're going to rule David. We're going to be on your right and left. We're going to use power and violence to beat back the infidels and so on. And Jesus is like, that is not at all what this kingdom is about. Please don't spread that version Mm -hmm. of the kingdom. Understand the truth before you do it. Now, another thing I did there though, Gianna is, in, in doing that, in the explanation I gave for you, uh, uh, and, and kind of twisting some of the facts about the incredible work you're doing and exaggerating it, I was acting out the very point that I'm trying to teach. And, and there's a, a term for that called an enacted parable. So I'm going to ask Jason here to take a few minutes and explain to us, Jason, uh, enacted parables. What are they? Maybe give us some examples, uh, you know, and and relate that to what's going on here in Mark. Yeah. So an an enacted parable um, is is in the discussion um, 
with what, what we'd call speech acts, right? Um, you, you'd, um, you wouldn't just tell some kind of riddle or some kind of story, which is, um, suggestive uh, of, of something deeper or some larger reality. You, you do it. You, you, you tell the parable by, by doing it. So the, the classic one is, is it Jeremiah who smashes the pot? Um, he comes in the room and smashes the pot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's an enacted parable. Like he could have told a story about, you know, you, this is going to be like God, God's going to smash this whole, um, you know, this monarchy, like, like someone smashes a pot, but it, it it's more provocative, uh, more, uh, the, the point is more instantaneous and more violent. If you come in with the pot and you smash it on the ground and you walk out, it's like, there you go. You know, it's like street cooking street. over feces. What's that? Yeah, exactly. That's another <laughs> one. Cooking over feces, like say no more. Like, okay, it's going to be a hard time. <laughs> you know, like that, that's a, that's it. It, the you action know what my favorite itself. one is, can I break in and say what my favorite one is? Yeah. Is when God tells a prophet to um, take his underwear and go bury them. Oh yeah. You yeah, know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Is that, yep. Uh, yeah, yeah his BVDs. Oh, what chapter is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hide it in the rock. Yeah, hide it in the rock, rock bury yeah. it. And then when he brings it out, he's like, okay, now those are dirty, soiled, useless underwear. That's what my people have become yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have not read that. That's hilarious. I love it. Well, there, it's, yeah, it's not, the Bible, the Bible is definitely not a PG rating. So my favorite for sure is the one over feces. And here's why. In Robert, in Robert Alter's Hebrew Bible, um, which everyone should have, by the way. It's, and, and I was talking Ezekiel 13, by the way. Yeah, Go okay. Ahead, so this yeah. is Ezekiel as well. Um, yeah. But in Robert Alter's translation, uh, he translates, in most English Bibles, say, cook your, cook your food over human excrement. Robert Alter has, cook your food over turds. <laughs> <laughs> This is what Reggie needs to read. This is a Reggie thing. I was reading that not that long ago, and I came across it, and I had to double take. I'm like, turds? And it it showed up several times, so turds in the Bible is jarring. Um, Yeah, okay, but that's the idea, right? It's it's like what you see street street performers do. It's like what you see burning burning a bra, right? Burning the flag. Uh, Those are all enacted parables, like these these things you do that. Um, are are not just words, but they communicate something larger. That's probably a more eloquent way to describe it. Yeah, that's how Jesus I, clearing the temple. Bingo! That is par excellence. The yeah. uh, enacted parable. Yeah, that's great. So, okay, that's helpful. One other question I want to ask you, Jason, is um, we had talked about a connection with Isaiah. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Can you bring that out for us? Okay. I'll well, just throw right, you the and ball then, and you run with it. And then you'll have to tell me to shut up. You'll have to break in or, or I'll Gianna, run give him out. three <laughs> minutes. Okay. Um, okay. So, so yeah, um, it, it makes sense to think of, uh, well, people have called Isaiah, especially the, the middle part of Isaiah, the gospel, They've called, for, for good reason, because that word shows up. The gospel, according to Isaiah, is how some people describe chapters 40 through 55, the book of the consolation, whatever. There's different ways of putting it. But um, because it sounds so much like especially the gospel, according to Mark, you could call Mark basically like a a, a uh, a com a running commentary on the on the book called Isaiah, uh, with with all of its with all of its open ended um, features filled in. Um, it re- Mark Mark is is definitely thinking through the prophet uh, Isaiah as he writes, and specifically this theme of seeing, being deaf, being dumb, being blind. He got that from Isaiah, and it, it's. It's a major theme in this really complicated book called Isaiah. Uh, but starting with the prophet receiving some kind of um, commission, uh, well, he volunteers uh, for this job, actually, 
to to be sent by God. And it's funny, we had, I remember when I was a college minister, we had this song that was really famous in the college ministry, uh, college ministries, here I am, send me. And it was about God's love. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, you know, that, that line, here I am, send, send me, is what the prophet Isaiah says uh, when God's looking for someone to send. But it definitely isn't a message of love <laughs> because it goes on to be, okay, since you volunteered, here's what I want you to say. We've we've seen this in Mark chapter four, like be blind, be deaf, be dumb, be calloused. Um, but that that thread gets pulled on throughout the rest of the book. When we get to this section, uh, which sounds a lot like the, the gospel accounts, it's beginning in Isaiah 40, we start to see this idea that the people of God are hard-hearted and blind. Um, judgment has worked its course through Assyria, through Babylon and the exile. And we get to a point where God starts calling a prophet again to now go open eyes. For a long time, he, he was kind of sent to offer truth. And because of where they were, it would shut their eyes. But now there's a moment where the, he will go and open eyes. And here's what's really um, challenging. And and I, I think Mark has dialed into this. The way that the eyes of God's people shall be opened will be by Yahweh summoning a servant. And the servant was supposed to be the people, but they're too blind to open blind eyes. That's their call. Uh, so Yahweh summons uh, an individual, presumably the prophet, to be an eye-opener. He'll have his eyes open, and then he'll open their eyes, and then he'll open the nation's eyes. But the way he does that is through, beginning in chapter 50, we learn, through his own suffering and death. And so the eyes can only be opened as the suffering servant offers himself with great fidelity to the Lord, and they beat him and kill him. And the onlookers say, look at the fidelity that this this servant has for his his God. And the idea is they see something in that and it pries open their closed hearts. It opens their blind eyes. A, a ray of light comes shooting out from the death of this servant. Um, and, and that is exactly how Mark's gospel moves in, in this, this momentum from blindness to slowly being opened. And it can't fully be opened in the gospel of Mark, like in Isaiah, until the death of God's servant happens in a way that shocks everyone to the core. So um, the, the Isaiah-Mark connections could be an actual season of, of uh, right. the Icon right. podcast. But that's, in short, some things I think that can be helpful um, in thinking about Jesus's roots being quite old, not just uh, New Testament. So, yeah. I had some random thought, if I could interject, which probably makes no sense or could. I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys. Go for it. In some of the studies I've done, when we're talking about the Old Testament, like it's just like the glory of the Lord or something like that passes by, passes by. Like you can't look directly at God, obviously, and we see that. And so I'm wondering just um, what you were just talking about. Now, Jesus is here to open eyes, like to see what he's doing and in the Old Testament, that was a little different. It was more behind the curtain or away. I don't know if that makes any sense, yeah. but as, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as you were yep. talking, I was just thinking like, oh, wow, like we get to see so much through Jesus that could have been blinding in the past, and now he's opening our eyes to it. And yet we still don't really see it sometimes. But how how interesting is it that we get to see the glory of the Lord through through Jesus? Right. That's yeah, yes. that's a really important point, Gianna. That's uh, th yeah, that's excellent. And we could we could, as Jason would say, we could spend a whole season on that. Yeah, uh, alone yeah. as well. The glory of God and present in Jesus. But that where that really drives my mind is to Hebrews one, where uh, the writer of Hebrews oh, says, "In yeah. the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways." But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son 
is the radiance of God's glory mm-hmm. and the exact amazing. representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. So the, the writer there is saying, yes, in the, in the past, God spoke, but it was shadowy. It was representations. It was symbols. It was pointers. It was road signs. It was things that gave us a gist of who God was, right. but there was never a clear, perfect Right. It wasn't image. filled out. Yeah. yeah, representation, the, the the full thing. So here it is. Yeah. Here it is. And and that's where I the Isaiah Mark connection is so strong as well, because Isaiah is pointing to the Messiah so often, the servant of the Lord, the one who's going to come and do all these things. And and as we pointed out, I think at the very beginning of Mark, Mark says, you know, here is the beginning of the gospel as it is written. In right. the prophet Isaiah, right, the prop, right. Uh, right out the gate. I'm going to reinterpret this, but all, all, or as Paul would say in First Corinthians chapter one, all of uh, God's promises are yes yeah. in Christ. Yeah. So this, geez, this is great. Uh, I mean, this is the stuff that really lights my fire with when we're talking about the New Testament, because yeah, like this when. And we're going to come to it. I can't wait till we get to the end of chapter 10, when, when the disciples ask to be enthroned with Jesus in his glory. Um, Mark makes clear what that means. Like the glory of the Lord in Mark is the crucifixion, where it says, here's your king, right? And so there's this redefinition of like power and glory, and they're not prepared for it. And so the kind of glory people seek, even Moses, right? Think of when Moses asked God for his glory, God says, wrong question. I'll show you my goodness. Um, and so there's this, um, uh, like what it is to see the, the exact representation of God is to look at the cross. And that is just scary. It's frightening because uh, you expect uh, um, po- unlimited power, Um but you see unlimited submission <laughs> of, of some kind. So, yeah. So let me, let me bring this to a point. There's, there's two questions I want to ask as we move into our final two steps of our hermeneutic of expectancy. So we've had our reading glasses on. We've jumped in the time machine and looked at the context. Now let's, let's take a selfie. And as we've talked about numerous times here, Mark is – aiming, um, I, I think, a lot of what he is crafting here towards the church and saying, you are in the position of the disciples. Are you seeing? Are, are you perceiving? Are you understanding the way of the cross? Or have you been infected by the yeah. yeast of the Pharisees and Herod? So I think we can look at that on an individual level and say, wow, I've got to examine that for myself. But in my opinion, the need of the hour here is more so for Christians as a collective, as a community, to stand in that place and ask, have we been anti-discipled by the world? Have we been trained to think certain ways? Have, have we been infected by the yeast of cultural power? Um, you know, those positions of, um, oh, it's for a good thing, but we want to grab power. We want to grab the positions of prominence so that we can tell other people for their own good how they should live or what they should do. Um, we want to be on the right and left. You know, yeah, we want to, right, right. we're doing the same things that the disciples did, um, and we're as blind to it as, as they are. Um, you know, how do we talk about those with opposing worldviews? How do we interact with them? Do we look cross-shaped? So here's the first question I want to ask you guys. What would a cross-shaped church look like in the world today? In the political and cultural mess that we all live in every day, what would a cross-shaped church look like in that? Jason, do you want to go first? You've had some time. To um, think about this. Yeah, I can. I can 
take a stab at it. I, um, I think if if we are going to be, um, if the cross is our ground, our, our foundation, whatever, our, our way of understanding, our mission, all of that, um, I think we're going to have to become less judgmental. Um, I, I think uh, th- this is a this is a, um, a a a call to be uh, not very popular, not very um, thrilling and exciting, uh, not sexy. Right? I mean, th- th- there's nothing about. I mean, the cross is a violent image. It's it's death. And I think this is why the disciples struggle with it because they didn't hear in the summons to the cross, like, or you said cross shaped life. I like that. Like they don't, they didn't hear like, Oh, you got to deny yourself, put yourself on the shelf. They, they heard scorn. I would imagine they heard. There's no glory, no yeah, margins. Yeah, totally. And so if the church is to be a marginal community, um, then we better settle into the idea that it, we're not we're not going to be the most um, exciting, thrilling, relevant community in town. Um, we got to own that and be unapologetic about that. Like our conviction and um, understand self understanding lie elsewhere. I think if a cross shaped community would undo our obsession with being. Um, uh, uh, in the mix, so to speak, it would put us more in a position of service, of serving, of love, of self-sacrifice, self-donation, whatever the language is, um, and we'd worry less about uh, some of the garbage we're worried about. Um, and I say garbage; it sounds like I'm being really hard on a certain stream of Christian uh, community, but but me too. I mean, there are, there are things that, as a minister, I look. I'm like. This has nothing to do with the death and resurrection of our Lord. It's more a, uh, it's more put on my radar by um, understandings of the gospel wherein the cross isn't at the center. Um, yeah. So, anyways, that's not my way of saying be sloppy or anything, but I think it's a way of like stop stop judging like the world judges and start to see yourself as nothing. Yeah, I mean, what would a cross-shaped church look like in today's world? It's so hard for me to imagine that. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of difficult coming up with any thoughts of, of what it would be. Um, but I think it would look a lot different than what we see today. And it, in many ways, and just one that's just so sharp in my mind is I just think the the political influence over us in America uh, would look different. There would be less, or I would hope no political influence. Um, And just this uh, desire and maybe not desire, but just this intensity about our country would change to an intensity about God and about the cross and about Jesus's life. It would it would look more like that um, is what I envisioned uh, that it, it wouldn't just be like an individual thing. It would be a more communal, communal focused. I don't know how to say this community. I don't know, like because uh, I feel like we have a lot of individuals that do have a, a cross shaped outlook or life. Uh, but how much more impactful if all of us could be unified in that? Um, and so I don't have a specific answer on that one. I know you you wanted us to take some time and think about that, but I just think it will look completely different than what it yeah. looks like now. And I think you Which have another Which is so question. sad. Yeah, and not to say, like, I think we've done and will continue to do things that are cross shaped, but continuously and effectively all the time, we could probably uh, like have some more work to be done in that yeah. area. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the number one task of the church is to be Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not to grow, not to be successful, not to be influential. It is to be Christ-like. When you say church, do you mean at an individual level or as the church, as the community, the body together? All of the above. All of the above. But I think first it starts with uh, uh, the we before we start breaking Mm -hmm. it down into the me. And so the degree to which we are Christ-like is the degree to which we look like Christ in the world and think and act like Christ. And of course, one of the key moments, the key moment in the life of Christ is the cross. And I think one of the things is we have, we have robbed the cross of its meaning in its context. That's one of the things that we try to do here in this podcast is what did things mean in their context? What was going on? And we tend to look at the cross, and Jason, I think you alluded to this a little bit, as the cross means I will inconvenience myself. Right, right. That's right. not what the cross means. Be willing to be disrupted the, or something. The cross means I will give up a little bit of, you know, what I have and share. That's that great. That makes so much sense because when we do the, you know, when we study and we count the costs, like it's very, what am I losing or what am I dying? Yeah. The, the cross is not even, I would say in this sense about sacrifice as though, well, it's, I'll just give up some things and I'll, I'll put others first. Those are all parts of the Christian life and those are important. But that's not the fundamental primary meaning of the cross in the first century. It, it's, it's not about, well, and quite frankly, a lot of us as Christians reduce the meaning of pick up your cross and follow me to mean I got to, you know, go make other disciples even when I don't feel like it. I got to right. be about the mission of the yeah, church, absolutely. Which, is, which is great, but that's not the primary symbol and meaning of the cross. In the first century, what is the message of the cross? And 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 I don't mean from even the perspective of Jesus, because Jesus is talking about the symbology of the cross before he ever goes to the cross. So that means the way he's using it is the way first century people would perceive it in living in the Roman Empire. And so what does the cross mean there? What's its number one message? It, it is this, powerlessness. Yeah. Rome puts you on a cross to show you that you had no power. Right. Nice, they nice were try, in control. rebel. Yeah, yeah right? good try, rebel. Yeah. You have no power. You have no standing. You have no status. We will put you the lowest position we can. We will shame you in every way possible. We will strip you down and take everything from you and make you a nothing. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, uh, just from your, your perspective, because, you know, all of the the great, um, you know, tr- treatments of, of the cross, I know there are many, but like what seems to get emphasized over and over, and, you know, I'm not a, I didn't grow up in the Greco-Roman world, obviously, but I think in the church, uh, in our brand of churches, I didn't mean brand to be pejorative, forgive me, but in our, in our kinds of churches, um, um, uh, we emphasize with the cross, the excruciating pain, which yes. is no doubt yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a major component of why you don't want to go to the cross. But mm-hmm. from what I've, uh, explored, shame is more the, what's on the radar from the Roman Correct. I mean, that's the money. The, the payoff is like, we're going to shame you. We're going to make yes. it just, that's but we exactly. don't emphasize, but see the difference is when we emphasize the pain, we can then talk about what's going to be painful to be a yes. Christian, but we would never say it's going to be shameful to be a Christian. God forbid. Um, right. But the, the import of the cross is in fact shame. And Christians yes. were shameful from society's vantage point. I it's feel a like, loss of status. Yeah. So I feel like from the, from our in, in our setting, we almost reverse that. We, the, Correct. The, the cross isn't an image of, of intense self-denial, but we'll never be ashamed. We'll be yes. our self-denial will actually win us favor. 
Yes, 100%. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He doesn't say Jesus endured the pain of the cross. Right, he said he endured the right. shame of the cross. Because Scorning that's what, right, right. Yes, that was the kind of symbol that it was. It was it was identifying with those of low status. It was bringing them up, bringing yourself down, sacrificing, being willing to associate with people of low position. All these are phrases from right. um, Scripture it, it was a powerlessness. And so in Mark, if we're entering a section here where they have been blind and not seeing things correctly, and Jesus keeps bringing up the cross is the reality here. This is the victory. This is how, this is what I'm trying to call you to. I wouldn't be surprised if towards the end of this section, Mark takes Jesus saying something very directly about you must give up power to follow me. That is where this is headed. And let's just keep our eyes open for that towards the end of chapter 10. If in fact, Jesus does come out and say something about if you want the way of power, you cannot follow me. And this should be a very stinging rebuke to Christians yeah. in the 21st century who have been seduced by the power of political and cultural advantage and privilege and comfort yeah. and have, have missed the way of the cross. I feel like if, if that's where we're headed, we're going to have a lot of shakeups going on. Yeah, with, right. Um, well, that is where we're headed. And so that leads me to my last question. And I know we only have a few minutes to do this. What if we read this? And what if we're, you know, and of course we miss this in our own personal lives, but what if we start to wrestle with this and go, oh my goodness, this is, this is the secret of the kingdom. The way of the cross, this is what we've missed. This is the good soil is to hear that, accept it and produce a crop. And then, and here's my question, what if we are in a system or a church that has lost its cross shape, that doesn't see this or doesn't seem to want to? And I don't say this at all from a judgmental standpoint. I don't think we should stand there and be like, my church doesn't get it. They don't get it the way I get it. That's not my heart here. That's not the intent behind the question. What do we do if we are in a church or there's a group of us that is in a church and we desperately want that church to see this message, but it just has lost that cross shape. What do we do? Do we even have an answer for that question right now? If we don't have an answer, maybe, maybe that's, we got to sit on it and go, I I don't know. We've got to continue to explore that and wrestle with that. But that's what jumps to my mind is what do we do in that situation, if you're like, boy, we are collectively like the disciples, we see the world like trees walking around right now. That's mm-hmm. where we are. Are you saying this question or asking this question as if you are a leader in a church realizing this or as just someone, a member of the body oh. or anyone? Because I feel like if Any you're a that. leader, there's, I feel like you have the power to start making changes. But if you're someone in the body, a regular schmegler like me, oh. um, you'd think, what, you'd think if you were a leader, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you know, no, I love that question, Gianna. And, and I think I would say both, but I think um, just being in a position of leadership, I, I think sometimes people think that you have a lot more ability to just change things mm-hmm. as you want them to be tell than them. you actually do. There are bigger <laughs> forces. Let them know. You know, you can't, you can't tell people, okay, this is now what we're all doing. You, you, you can, you That's maybe have a, you mm-hmm. maybe have a platform, but there are always um, bigger forces at work. Um, both, you know, to use the metaphor, both below you in leadership and above you. And I'm not, I I hate those terms because it gives this image of like 
there are levels to leadership and and in fact we're all equal but if you have a bigger megaphone there are still there are still bigger circles outside of yours that you don't control that you don't influence uh, right unless you're mark um, mark driscoll then you just unless you've created your own <laughs> little kingdom yes where you're at the very top and and that's a dangerous thing to be and that gets proven time and again but if if we're just regular disciples and we're in, in a church and again not to judge the church because i think you've missed the whole point of following jesus if you then turn around and go well this church you all missed it I, i'm the only one who gets it here and so i'm going to go off and do my own thing or find something better you know, there may be situations where someone needs to do that for whatever reason. I don't think that's the normative typical response. And so um, maybe again, maybe we need to just sit with that for a while and say, what do we do in that case? If we look around and go, oh, my goodness, we've kind of missed the way of the cross here. So would it be fair or applicable in this situation? I know we use this scripture, but in Revelations 2, 4. I, this is to a church, and it's a group for the word you is communal, right? It's not just an individual. So I, I don't know if it would work here, but if it says that we should consider how far we've fallen and return to the love we had at first, but then it also continues to say, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit has to say. And so it seems like there has to be a lot of reshaping our minds and thinking mm -hmm. and remembering um, a lot of things. So yeah. I don't know if it's actual actions beyond the thinking, returning to the beginning of what we loved and hearing. So it sounds like we need to have some conversations and we all need yeah. to be spending time with Jesus a lot more to get to where we're supposed to end yeah. up. Yeah. And that's not to say, I don't think people aren't doing that now. Um, but I'm just wondering if this scripture has any application since it's not just an individual, it seems to go towards a group and advice for a group of people, um, and a group of people that, uh, the writer has says that like, you've, you've been tested, you preserved and, uh, had endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. So it's not as if there wasn't things that we have been working and striving and doing, wholeheartedly yet there's yeah. things that we are missing i don't know if that makes any sense oh it does it, it does uh, i love it and I, I mean it does continue to put you know that onus of responsibility on us to examine our soils to go back and say have have i um embrace the message of the cross or do I, have I gotten comfortable with yeah, just am I thinking, seeing trees? am I seeing trees? Have I gotten comfortable with just, well, I'm close to Jesus. Therefore that means I'm good soil, you know? Uh, but, but really I'm behaving more like an outsider. Yeah. Do, does my life look like the way of the cross? Jason, final final word there. No, th thanks for writing my sermon uh, for me for this Sunday, you guys. This is great. <laughs> well, that's what we try to do here yeah, to, to I mean, help you be so as as uh, you know lazy as possible. Well, I, I'll tell you, I do, I don't use our podcast for my for my sermons. Um, but oh, I, I do. I, do you? I may because this I is do. just yeah. When we, this, when we come with good stuff, I mean, we've been studying out. Like, yeah, it seeps into my well, sermons. Maybe all the I should time. be doing that then because I'll tell you what, like it's. Um, I'm afraid. I guess I'm. A, I, I'm imagining more people listen than actually do. Because <laughs> I'm afraid they're going to be like, "Hey, wait a second, you just we stole heard that. this already." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess I'm safe. All right, never mind. I'll start using these for a sermon. This good. That's all I got to say. This is that's your this final is word. Great. Okay, yeah, this is great. Word. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's just say let's as a community then uh, us the three of us and our listeners and the churches we're in. Let's wrestle with that. Like, what yeah. what do we do if we as individuals or we as a community church or whatever ha start to think, man, maybe we don't exactly look cross-shaped in the world, the way we respond to enemies, the way we go after influence, the way we 
respond to the most vulnerable and marginal in the society. You know, maybe we don't look cross-shaped. What do we do? So let's wrestle with that for the next few weeks and, and see what more Mark has for us there. Yeah. And if I could close out on a scripture that I was just reminded of in my last study in my women's group, we read uh, Revelations 3. I'm back in Revelations 1 through 3, or excuse me, 2 through 3. But it says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And we, it continues, but we focused on strengthening what remains. But a lot of times that's what we think about like our reputation or what's great about us, but we don't think about the parts that are about to die. Mm. And so, and that's what we wanted to focus on and see where are we tending to lean on our reputation or use our reputations and our strengths as masks when we should in this scripture, pay attention. It says, wake up to what's about to die. So I think that can be a a portion of where we go as well. Um, Thinking about what parts of our body have died uh, or are dying or that need the strengthening, not necessarily on all of our strength are the, the good parts and the, even though, yes, that's great to know. Um, but yeah, so I think a question is how do we strengthen the dying parts? Because there probably are some, and those could be the parts that we need to watch out for because those will be the parts that take over. It's a great thought. Well, we're moving on next week. What we're going right into the the next scripture or the next? Yeah, we're staying right in Mark eight here. Yeah, yeah. We're going to continue on. Um, we're we're doing every verse of Mark eight. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds like we have exciting things coming up and powerful conversations. Thanks for sticking with us again, guys. Make sure you comment or like us or even send us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts and continue hearing what you think about the podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.